Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. And proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. Join us on one of our free walks, become a member, and check us out on Facebook and on the web at OceanStateBirdClub.org. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 753. Having trouble identifying birds? You're not alone, of course. Now, guess what's coming to the rescue? It's artificial intelligence. Using an AI technique called deep learning, Duke University researchers have trained a computer to identify up to 200 species of birds from just a photo. Yes, there are already apps out there that can also do that, but this new system from Duke apparently also shows its thinking. In a way, they say that even someone who doesn't know a penguin from a puffin can understand. The details are better read than said, though, and more on the story can be found on our TalkingBirds.com website. Well, we'd like to welcome another fabulous new partner to Talking Birds. It's Birdwatcher's Digest. Birdwatcher's Digest is much more than a magazine. Explore their publications, events, online birding store and birding tours at birdwatchersdigest.com. That's birdwatchersdigest.com. Extra, extra, read all about it. Some of the stories and videos we have for you right now, both on our beautiful new talkingbirds.com website and on our Facebook page. Did you know that you can now download... All 435 bird illustrations by the legendary John James Audubon for free. We'll connect you to how to do it through National Audubon. Full disclosure, you do have to agree to let them send you some emails in exchange, but it's still all free. The vulturine guinea fowl of Kenya may not be the brightest bird, but it forms complex societies that mimic those of humans. We'll link you to new research about that from the Max Planck Institute. And a community activist is rejuvenating Chicago with urban oases for both birds and humans, bringing nature and birding to the inner city. We'll connect you to that story from the Christian Science Monitor. All those stories and more available right now on our Facebook page and on our TalkingBirds.com website. Well, for this week's conservation salute, we take you to the Canals of Venice. It seems that many of the gondoliers who rode tourists along the romantic Venetian canals got tired of all the floating trash in the water, so they decided to do something about it by donning scuba gear and diving in to clean up the junk. Last Sunday's dive by eight gondoliers marked the fifth of its kind this year, and since February, when they started doing this, they reportedly have removed two and a half tons of trash from the canals. The gondoliers point out that it's not only tourists who are tossing the trash, 
as demonstrated by the fact that among the items retrieved are part of a stove, an old tape player, a chandelier, automobile tires, bicycles, and a bidet. On to a preview now of our mystery bird contest. That's the bird. It's a medium-sized resident of dense woodlands. It has a small head, a grayish-brown body, a medium-to-long square tail, and wings with a large white patch on the wings that appears as a white line when the bird is perched. Our bird is found mostly in the southwest, but it's expanding its range, and individuals have been seen from Alaska to Ontario, as well as Maine, Newfoundland, and many places in between, foraging in flocks and looking for seeds and fruit and eating them. That's our mystery bird preview, the contest itself, coming along in uh, just a little bit. Meanwhile, we'd like to say thank you, thank you, thank you to more Talking Birds ambassadors. They are listeners who have become ambassadors and spreading the word about our show and about birds and conservation. So we'd like to say thank you to a couple of Massachusetts listeners, including Deb McComiskey from Gloucester, Massachusetts. And she was recruited by current ambassador Pamela Mansfield-Loomis. Thank you, Deb. And thank you, Pamela. Ambassadors recruiting ambassadors. Now that is a top quality idea. Thank you to Floyd Bartram from Weymouth, Massachusetts. He says, when I started to get into birding a few years ago, I was driving to church and had the radio on. I just happened to stop on your show, and it was the Mystery Bird segment. I couldn't believe that I had stumbled upon a radio show devoted to birds and on a new hobby that I had just started to dive into. I subscribed to the podcast in case I miss a show. Thank you so much, Floyd for becoming an ambassador. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you will join our ambassadors family by allowing us to send you some of our little info cards for you to hand out at your convenience to friends and neighbors and fellow birders. To join the family, just visit our website, talkingbirds.com. Click on the Get Involved button at the top of the home page, and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. Still to come on our show today, we'll learn something about something called the Feminist Bird Club. Plus, we'll catch up with Mike O'Connor for another installment of Let's Ask Mike Live, Veterans Day Weekend Edition. And up next, it's two, two, two ducks in one. Well, actually, two very similar and closely related ducks for today's featured Feathered Friend segment, presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Well, now we've really gone off the deep end. What the heck does an Oreo cookie have to do with today's featured feathered friend? Well, according to Wayne Peterson and Roger Burroughs in their book, Birds of New England, this bird mirrors the pattern of an Oreo cookie. I didn't say it, they did. But hey, they're right. Often dark brown on each end and white in the middle. Although the female is kind of brownish in the middle, as if she'd been dipped in chocolate milk. So what's the bird? Well, it's two birds. Two birds, two birds in one. The greater and lesser scop. 
These two birds are very similar. The greater scop is only a little larger than the lesser, but it has a rounder head and a large black nail on the tip of the bill that's lacking in the lesser. The greater scop prefers salt water and the lesser likes fresh, but they're often found together in brackish water or salt water or fresh water, sometimes in estuaries and lagoons, feeding on clams and crabs and insect larvae. Here's the call of the lesser scop and the greater scop. Kind of similar there too. Those calls, by the way, may be where the birds get the name scop. Or as Peterson and Burroughs point out, the name might refer to the bird's winter food since shellfish beds are known in some places as scalps. Two beautiful birds that are hard to tell apart, kind of like two Oreo cookies. Today's featured feathered friends, the greater and lesser scoff. Welcome again to our show, number 753. This is the point in the program where we invite you to visit our website. It's our beautiful new website. We're kind of excited about it. We hope you'll check it out. It's at TalkinBirds.com, and there is no G in talking. And please do follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Talking Birds. We have a whole bunch of uh, great new pictures there on Instagram, by the way. Some pretty nice stuff, we think. Well, a few weeks ago, we talked with Molly Adams. She's the founder of the Feminist Bird Club, based in New York City. But we didn't talk about that. We talked about bird collisions and lighting remediation for bird safety in New York. But today, we'll welcome a guest to talk about the Feminist Bird Club concept. She's Carla Naboa, founder of the Feminist Bird Club Boston chapter. She's on the phone with us right now. Good morning, Carla. Good morning. Great to have you on with us, Carla, and people are kind of fascinated by this concept, I think, the Feminist Bird Club. Tell us uh, about its founding, I think it was in 2016, and its purpose. Yes, so the Feminist Bird Club was founded by Molly Adams in New York. Um, It's a club that aims to be an inclusive birdwatching, it's an inclusive birdwatching club, and we try to provide a safe opportunity for people to connect with the natural world, and we also fundraise to protect protect the rights of um, black, indigenous people of color, LGBTQ, um, and women. So it's a fundraising platform, but also a way to get uh, people outside birding. Mm-hmm. So why, does it, why did you find this necessary? In other words, you talk about a safe uh, environment for birders. Why, why, was that, why was that necessary? Well, traditionally, bird clubs have been uh, primarily composed of older white men, um, just based on personal experience and Um, I think a lot of people have kind of had that experience. So it can be intimidating um, for people that don't know that much about birds and are interested in getting involved. Um, It can be a little hard to try to get into one of those clubs and ask a lot of questions. So um, the Feminist Bird Club is a place where beginner birders can come, super experienced birders can come, and it's just a very welcoming environment where we encourage um, just talking and trying to work together to see what's out there. Um, so it's just a little bit less like one person leading a walk of um, of very experienced birders and more of a group of people birding together. So kind of a non-judgmental experience too, right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So why Feminist Bird Club, uh, Carla, instead of, uh, I don't know, Women's Bird Club or something like that? 
Yeah, well, we um, didn't want to be exclusive just to women, um, although the Feminist Bird Club um, uh, is mostly women that do come. Um, we're open to so many people. We want to be as inclusive as possible. Um, the feminist uh, idea is uh, primarily with the fundraising. Um, that kind of came about with the fundraising where we wanted to uh, provide money to causes that supported feminist feminism and um, people of color and women. Um, so it's a space that not only fundraises for those causes, but it also um, is open if people want to talk about feminist issues or um, if feminism is important to them. It's a space where people can explore that um, and really feel comfortable um, talking about those types of things or current events as well. Um, we do a lot of fundraising for other causes throughout the year. Um, so it's really just a, a way to get people comfortable and um, involved in those kinds of causes. And I think you have said uh, to Carla that men are indeed invited to be part of the Feminist Bird Club, correct? They are, that's correct. Mm -hmm. um, we would like to create a space uh, that is open for non-men, um, but men are super welcome. Um, I know personally on my walks, I try to leave um, a space for women, people of color, um, but if there is space on my walks, I am absolutely happy to have any men join as long as they are um, in support of the mission, that they uh, are fem feminists or allies. Um, that's just the most important piece. Mm-hmm. Well, minorities, I think, have been sort of historically underrepresented in birding clubs and, and gr groups like that, and you're trying to uh, do something about that. How is that working? Um, yeah, so uh, in New York City, um, Molly has a lot of uh, really great walk leaders and people that she's been working with from the community who are birders that felt um, maybe not as comfortable uh, in traditional bird clubs. So. Uh, just by being in existence, people are learning about us. They're attracted to it. So um, she has some really great walk leaders there. Um, Jeffrey Ward, I know, uh, mm -hmm. helps out with walks, and he's great. And um, she has um, she's kind of expanding on that. And here in Boston, um, that's something that we're focusing on as well, is just mm -hmm. trying to really create that space for people of color. So... Um, I have done outreach to people that I know are um, birders of color uh, to see if they'd like to get involved and would they like to lead a walk. Um, it's really just creating um, that space and having the representation so that people feel like, you know, someone that looks like them is doing this so that they can do it. Um, so that's one of the most important pieces, um, at least for me personally, as a person of color, um, I'd like to see more representation and um, create that space. Well, uh, Carla, you've uh, kind of started the ball rolling for chapters beyond uh, New York City, right? Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, sure. So I started the Boston chapter in 2017. Um, I contacted Molly. I just actually found her on Instagram. Um, and I asked her if I could start a chapter because I didn't feel very comfortable with the birding community here in Boston, um, and I had just moved here, so it was uh, hard to connect with anyone. Hmm. And she kind of just let me do it, um, and she came to Boston, and she helped, and we led a walk together, and after my chapter had started and we had kind of uh, talked about it on social media, 
uh, Molly started getting requests from all over the world for people mm. to start their own chapters. And now there's actually 10 chapters um, in the United States, but also there's one in Toronto and there's one in the Netherlands. So it's really expanding a lot, and there's a lot of people around the world that are really fascinated and interested by the Feminist Bird Club. Mm. Well, I know you're in the process of establishing the club, if I have this right, as a nonprofit, so not looking to establish more new chapters uh, just yet, but how can folks find out uh, how to join an existing chapter and find out more about the club in general? Uh, yeah, so if you go to our website, um, it's actually mollyadams.com slash feministbirdclub. Um, there is links to every chapter that exists. You can um, click those links, connect with the chapter leaders, try to join a walk. Uh, we're also on Instagram at Feminist Bird Club, and we post about all of our events and activities. Um, uh, so all the information is you can find online. Um, and then we are we are currently putting new chapters on hold, but um, soon we'll we hope to be able to open that back up. Okay, so mollyadams.com slash feminist bird club. Yes, and a search I'm sure would uh, would come up with that as well. Carla Naboa is the founder of the Boston chapter of the Feminist Bird Club. Carla, great work, and thanks for being on with us. Thank you so much. Coming up next here on Talking Birds, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. The North American Butterfly Association is launching the Butterfly Habitat Network, a new continent-wide conservation initiative. Using decades of accumulated knowledge, NABA is scaling up efforts to protect, enhance, and create habitat specifically for butterflies. Butterflies are important pollinators of native plants and represent as caterpillars a major food resource for birds. Habitats critical to butterflies are essential to nesting waterfowl, neotropical migratory birds, upland game birds, and more. The NABA Board of Directors and staff have selected projects across North America as a starting point of the Butterfly Habitat Network. If we can save butterflies, we can save ourselves. It's more than just a slogan. It's the understanding that adequate, well-cared-for space for the wildlife of this planet will ensure survival and quality of life for human beings. Find out how you can help by visiting naba.org. That's the sound of our mystery bird. Description, our mystery bird is a medium-sized resident of dense woodlands. It has a small head, a grayish-brown body, a medium to long square tail, and wings with a large white patch on the wings that appears as a white line when the bird is perched. Our bird is found mostly in the southwest, but it's expanding its range, and individuals have been seen from Alaska to Ontario, as well as Maine, Newfoundland, and most places in between, foraging in flocks, looking for seeds and fruit and eating them. That would be the sound and clues of our mystery bird, and we have three beautiful prizes for our contest this morning. And first, the phone number, which is 781-837-4900. We urge you to call it as soon as you can with your definitive answer or your guess. A drawing will determine the winner if no correct answer is received. 781-837-4900 is the number. Prizes include a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app, the app that makes learning bird sounds a game, plus a 12-ounce bag of delicious, shade-grown, bird-friendly, birds and beans coffee. And our other big prize, the Droll Yankees' original, iconic A6F classic tube feeder, 
featuring durable metal parts that squirrels can't chew and backed by a lifetime warranty against squirrel damage. Beautiful prizes there. You heard the sounds and the clues. Give us a call and let us know what it is. Don't let us run out of time. Call us at 781-837-4900. That's 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, we'll check in with Mike O'Connor at the Birdwatcher's General Store, Orleans Cape Cod. It's Let's Ask Mike live in just one minute. Talking Birds. We're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about our show and about birds in conservation. My name is Gary Menon and I'm from Sterling, Massachusetts. I like being a Talking Bird ambassador to help spread the word about the show and efforts to stem the tide of extinction facing bird populations throughout North America. It's important for all listeners to become ambassadors because, as Thomas Lovejoy wrote, if you take care of the birds, you take care of most all the problems in the world. Talkin' Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassadors family. Just visit our website, TalkinBirds.com. Click on Get Involved at the top of the homepage and then choose the Become an Ambassador option at TalkinBirds.com. And thanks. We're about to say thanks to Mike O'Connor for uh, joining us uh, once again here on uh, Talking Birds for our Let's Ask Mike segment, and I believe he's down there on Cape Cod. Sunshining again this morning. Wow. Unbelievable. How many days in a row is that with sunshine? It's up in the thousands, I suppose, <laughs> at this point, right? Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it just keeps coming. Wow. Keeps going. Yeah, it's tough. It's like San Diego of the East Coast is what it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the Veterans Day uh, weekend, Mike, and you have uh, something kind of especially in, in um, honor of that. Right. Happy Veterans Day, everybody. And yes, it's there's a, it's a movie. Some customer told me about a few years ago, and I, it, it's a documentary. It's called uh, War of Birds, and it sounds like a war movie, and it's based on a war movie, but it's about the history of birds, particularly the carrier pigeons that were used in World War II, kind of as a safety net for the for the Allies, the the British. Uh, raised 250,000 carrier pigeons because pigeons, as you know, they can fly long distances, they return to their roost, and they would t- tie notes uh, to the pigeons to, when they needed help. Now, in World War II, there was wireless communication, other forms of communication, so a lot wasn't a lot of attention given to the birds, except that they still didn't trust these women. You know, they were those old tube radios that you probably worked on, Ray, and they weren't that reliable. I still have them. I still use it. (laughs) So what they would do is they would, um, as backup, all the platoons and all the, especially the planes, would have pigeons on board. So if a plane went in the the water and they couldn't communicate, they would send a pigeon for help. And there was one pigeon with the fabulous name of Winky when a bomber went down in the North Sea. The the Brits knew the bomber went down when they couldn't find it, but then Winky arrived, covered in oil and seawater, wow. and they could tell. And then, then they worked on uh, you know the distance it took for the time it took for Pidget, uh, for Winky to arrive, and the currents and the winds, and they located and saved the bombers. And so this was going on. So then the 
the Germans couldn't take it anymore because they were, you know, when they would cut down the communications, the pigeons would come through. So they enlisted falconers to go after the British pigeons. Mm. And so there was that going on. But the British pigeons were pretty strong and, and powerful, and sometimes we don't maneuver the falcons. And one pigeon by the typically British name of Mary of Exeter um, was <laughs> caught by a falcon <laughs> and but got away and arrived back in England with severe wounds, delivered her message, and then, then needed 22 stitches to get patched up, and then she was retired for the rest of the war and lived to a ripe old age and died basically of old age. And then after the war, uh, there's a medal that they give to animals, a, a Dickino medal for uh, British animals, and 32 pigeons were given the Dickens Medal, where, uh, and that was more than all animals combined, including horses and dogs, wow. which everybody's all dog crazy now, but mm. back then the pigeons even outperformed the dogs in the service field. So the tip to all veterans, but especially the uh, the pigeons of World War II. Because, and it's, that's a movie that you can watch yeah. online. It's called War of Birds, and mm -hmm. I would... Um, I'd recommend people seeing that. It's really interesting, mm -hmm. and it's not all about fighting. It's all about how they train the yeah. pigeons, and as you can watch it online because it's, uh, it's about a 14-year-old movie now. You yeah. can easily watch it online, so it's right. very interesting. There's a book I could recommend, too. It just It's called, are you ready? Pigeons. Yep. Yeah, that's the name of it. Pigeons is the name of it, and uh, what the, the, uh, uh, the subtitle is The Fascinating Saga of the World's Most Revered and Reviled Bird. As you know, people have, you know, mixed feelings sometimes about pigeons. Uh, Andrew Blackman is the author. It's still available out there. So that's I think we, I think we actually at least did carry it, or mm -hmm. maybe we still do. I, um, so, yeah, yeah. That, that is kind of a cool book. Right. And, you know, like, I think it's like you said, the pigeons, we put them to work, but then when they're places we don't want them, then we curse them a little bit. But yeah. All right. Thanks for that tribute. That's Mike O'Connor from the uh, revered and reviled Birdwatcher's General Store on Cape Cod. Thank you, Mike. You got it. Every Wednesday, Birdwatching Magazine sends an e-newsletter full of information of interest to birdwatchers, including recent news stories about birds, conservation, and science, photography tips, stories about places to go birding, bird ID tips, and much more. Best of all, the newsletter is free. Sign up today at birdwatchingdaily.com slash newsletter. Back to the mystery bird contest. Here it is. A medium-sized resident of dense woodlands. It has a small head, a grayish-brown body, a medium to long, squarish tail, and wings with a large white patch on the wings that appears as a white line when the bird is perched. A beautiful droll Yankees feeder, uh, access to the Larkwire app, and sh shade-grown, bird-friendly birds and beans coffee our prizes this morning on our Mystery Bird Contest, 781-837-4900 is the number. And I believe we have Jason in Springdale, Utah, on the line with us. Good morning, Jason. Good morning, Ray. How's it going? Fine. Well, how are you? And give us a little geographical locator for Springdale. Springdale's in southwestern Utah. It's the gateway to majestic Zion National Park. Ah, I've had the one pleasure of being there one time. What an amazing place it is and a beautiful part of the country to be sure. Well, Jason, what about our mystery bird? Uh, what do you think? Is it a, is it a white-winged dove? Let me check here. The applause would indicate that it is indeed. 
Yes, a white wing dove. Fantastic. Nice job there. Good, good job with that. Thank you. Hey, would you like a bonus question? I think we have time. Sure, why not? Last week's uh, mystery bird was a long-billed dowager. So here's our question. After long-billed dowager eggs hatch, which parent takes care of the young? Is it A, the female, B, the male, or C, neither? They make the short-billed dowagers do it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I guess I'll go with A, female. A would be the uh, female. uh, I was uh, apparently not. No. It's the male who does it. See that? Males just don't get any credit for this stuff, but now they do. But you are the winner of our Mystery Bird Contest, uh, Jason, so thank you so much. Stay on the line, and uh, Jesse will get your info. All right, thanks. Thanks so much, Jason, there in Springdale, Utah, uh, correctly identifying our Mystery Bird this morning. And uh, that would be the... um, What was that? That was the white-winged dove is what it was. On next week's show, because of their toxicity and the weak safety standards for their use and distribution, rodenticides are a serious threat to any living thing that accidentally ingests them. Next week, we'll talk with a man who's trying to sound an alarm about this. He's Gary Menon from RATS. Raptors are the solution, and he'll be with us to talk about it on next week's show. Thanks to our amazing Talking Birds team, Debbie Bleacher, Freya McGregor, and our producing engineer, Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com And proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. Join us on one of our free walks, become a member, and check us out on Facebook and on the web at OceanStateBirdClub.org.